Welcome to Current Radio's Science Station. Please enjoy today's selection of science news. Charlotte, I've been reading up on the intriguing patent landscape that's emerging around artificial intelligence applications in oncology. It's a fascinating area that could revolutionize cancer treatment. Absolutely, Diego. Understanding the patent landscape is critical for key players in the field to make informed strategic decisions. But it's not just about the technology itself, it's about the potential implications for healthcare and society. It's a complex... Complex, indeed. The intersection of AI and oncology is a rapidly evolving field. The number of patents being filed is growing exponentially. That's a good indication of just how much innovation and development is happening. Right. And it's not just about the increase in patents, it's about what those patents represent. They're a reflection of the investment and research being poured into AI applications for cancer. This could lead to breakthroughs that could change the way we diagnose and treat cancer. Absolutely. And it's not just about the technology. It's about how this technology is being applied in the real world. We're talking about algorithms that can analyze medical images, identify patterns in genetic data, and even predict patient outcomes. It's a game changer. Certainly a game changer, Diego. The potential for AI to revolutionize cancer care is immense, but it's important to remember that these are still early days. There's a lot of hype around AI, and while it's exciting, we must also be cautious. There are many ethical and practical considerations that need to be taken into account. You're absolutely right, Charlotte. As we move forward, it's crucial that we navigate these ethical and practical issues carefully. But there's no denying the potential of AI in oncology. It's an exciting time to be involved in this field. Absolutely, Diego. It's an area that we'll certainly be keeping a close eye on as it continues to evolve. From the fascinating world of artificial intelligence in oncology, we now turn our attention to another critical issue in the medical field. It's a concern that's been looming for quite some time, the future of clinician scientists. Stay tuned as we delve into this alarming trend and discuss its potential implications on the health and wealth of nations. So Charlotte, today we're discussing an issue that's been a cause for concern for quite some time now, the future of clinician scientists. Indeed, Diego, it's alarming to see the decline in the number of medical doctors involved in biomedical science. In the 80s, physicians made up 4.5% of the U.S. biomedical research workforce, but that figure has dropped to just 1.5% today. That's a significant drop. And this dwindling number isn't just a statistic. It's a real threat to the long-term health and wealth of nations. The UK House of Lords Science and Technology Committee reported a similar decline in clinical academics, emphasizing the risks this poses. And I think it's important to clarify who we're talking about here. These clinician scientists are healthcare professionals who, aside from their patient care duties, dedicate a substantial amount of their time to research. Right. And this combination of roles can be incredibly valuable. For instance, a practicing surgeon or radiologist is more likely to innovate procedures and lead trials testing those ideas. And in non-interventional specialties, doctors' clinical experiences can provide unique insights into human variation and disease manifestations. Absolutely, Diego. The likes of Archibald Gerard and Nobel laureates Brown and Goldstein exemplify this approach. But despite the potential benefits, 
there seem to be barriers to fostering this kind of dual expertise. Yes, it's a challenging proposition. It takes time and money to train someone to be both a specialist doctor and a scientist. And while the UK was once well-positioned to generate such individuals, changes in postgraduate clinical training and shifts in funding focus have created hurdles. And it's not just the UK, is it? In the US, for example, industry roles are becoming increasingly attractive for clinical academics. They offer better pay, more resources, and a team approach to problem solving. But it's worth noting that such roles often dictate the areas of scientific pursuit. Exactly. And while academia might offer less in terms of remuneration and resources, it does offer the gift of autonomy. As long as you can secure funding, you're free to pursue whatever scientific questions interest you. So what's the way forward? How do we ensure the survival of clinician scientists? It seems that funders and professional regulatory bodies need to nurture rather than obstruct them. And existing clinician scientists have a role to play in inspiring and supporting trainees on their path to independence. Absolutely, Charlotte. If we get this right, clinician scientists will continue to make invaluable contributions to human knowledge and health. Speaking of scientific research, it's not just the number of clinician scientists that's causing concern, but also the quality and integrity of the research being published. Let's now delve into the alarming rise in retractions in the research world, a new record high that's raising eyebrows and questions about the legitimacy of many published papers. Charlotte, have you seen the latest news about the surge in retractions in the research world? The number of retractions in 2023 has passed 10,000, a record high, as publishers scramble to deal with a flood of sham papers and peer review fraud. Yes, Diego. It seems the majority of these retractions came from journals owned by Hindawi, a London-based subsidiary of the publisher Wiley. They've retracted over 8,000 articles, citing concerns about compromised peer review processes and systematic manipulation of publication. And these retractions are mostly from special issues, right? Collections of articles overseen by guest editors that are notorious for being exploited by scammers to publish low-quality or sham papers. Exactly. This has led Wiley to announce they will stop using the Hindawi brand name altogether. They've also implemented more rigorous processes to verify the identity of guest editors and oversee manuscripts, and they've removed hundreds of bad actors from their systems. But despite these retractions, these sham articles have been cited more than 35,000 times. It's shocking to see how these problematic papers manage to infiltrate the academic world and- Absolutely, Diego. And it's not just the volume of retractions that's concerning. The rate of retractions is rising faster than the growth of scientific papers. This year's surge means that the total number of retractions issued so far has passed 50,000. And while most retractions are due to misconduct, some are led by authors who discover honest errors in their work. But this is just the tip of the iceberg, as paper mills are producing hundreds of thousands of bogus articles. Right, and these paper mills are a problem even if no one reads them, because they get aggregated with others into review articles and laundered into the mainstream literature. It's a real issue that needs addressing. And it seems that some countries have higher retraction rates than others. According to Nature's analysis, Saudi Arabia, Pakistan, Russia, and China have the highest retraction rates among large research-producing nations. It's a global problem that... Indeed, Diego. 
But it's not just about retracting these papers. There needs to be a focus on preventing this kind of fraud in the first place. Publishers need to be more vigilant in their peer review processes and in verifying the identity of guest editors. Absolutely, Charlotte. The integrity of scientific research is at stake here. It's crucial for publishers and the research community to come together to tackle this issue head on. From the complex world of scientific integrity, let's shift gears to a more uplifting story. It's always heartening to see individuals making a positive impact within their community, particularly when they're also juggling the demands of an academic career. Our next story is about a young woman who's doing just that. Charlotte, I came across a heartwarming story today about a young woman named Hannah Phelps who's making a difference in her community. Oh, do tell. We could all use a bit of positivity, Diego. Indeed. So Hannah is a biology major at CSU, and she's been part of their learning assistant program for four semesters. She's been providing academic support to her peers and seems to have found it incredibly fulfilling. She's been leading a team of learning assistants, scheduling exam reviews, tutoring sessions, and she's been working closely with professors like Kimberly Jekyll and Eric Arthen. That's impressive. It's not just about the academics, but also about creating an equitable environment for learning. And it's clear that Hannah is passionate about... Exactly, Charlotte. She's not just making a difference academically, but personally, too. It's clear that she's deeply invested in her community at CSU. And she's from St. Louis, right? I believe she chose CSU because of the opportunities it offered and how well it aligned with her interests. Yes, you're right. She used to visit Colorado during her summer road trips and fell in love with the state. When it came time to pick a university, CSU just felt like home to her. And she's not stopping at her bachelor's degree, is she? I think there's a master's program in her future. That's right, Charlotte. She's planning to become an anesthesiology assistant and has applied to several programs. She's eager to see what the future holds for her. It's so encouraging to see young people like Hannah Phelps not only pursuing their academic goals, but also making a positive impact on their communities. I'm sure her story will inspire many of our listeners to do the same. I couldn't agree more, Charlotte. It's stories like these that remind us of the power of education and the importance of community.